Thank you so much, guys. That was amazing. So, yeah. So, good morning. Welcome to Awaken Church. So, that was Cadence, please. It's been a uh, blessing to have him over the course of this weekend. Um, our family had a chance to host him on a Friday night, and uh, they, they've just been a good group of guys. And um, not going to lie, there's a bit of trepidation knowing that we're hosting five single guys upstairs where we got three single girls and teenagers, but uh, we're just really blessed. And the cool part about this is uh, when uh, Stephen ended up giving me a call and contacting us way back in the day, this is back in April or so, or maybe March, and uh, we had just come off, and for those of you who are here at the beginning of the year, you know that we were just praying, and Lord, what is it that you want us to do as we're looking outside just the walls of Awaken and what we might be doing here as a church, looking at different partnerships and, and relationships that we'd be building for the sake of the kingdom, and so when this opportunity came in, I actually had a number of different calls, and this one just was like, all right, Lord, we'll respond and uh, see what you're going to do, and it's a Blessing to see that coming to fruition. So we're excited to have you guys here. Um, so for those of you who haven't been with us this summer, we are in the midst of a summer of focused on knowing Jesus. And our, the intent of this summer is focused more on knowing Jesus than doing for Jesus. Because that's oftentimes what these sermons can end up doing. What we can end up doing is just give us an action step, a lesson that we can learn, and so go out and put into action in some way, shape, or form. And the difference between knowing and doing for Jesus can be subtle, but it's distinct. And our goal as we dive into, over the course of this summer, the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus, and the acts of Jesus is pretty straightforward. We want to know him more and allow our knowing him to drive the doing. And so, we started off by spending four weeks looking at the life of Jesus and the character of Jesus, we, like the illegitimate son and, and the son of God and son of man and how these different roles and functions, how they play out into the essence of who Jesus is. We're now in the midst of our series on the provocative words of Jesus and what they tell us about him. And so two weeks ago, we talked about the idea of denying yourself and what that involves in order to take up the cross and follow. And last week, went through this idea of what it is to enter the kingdom of God. And the key to all of this is to know Jesus. So the analogy we used last week is an awkward one. It's not a perfect one. It was the idea of Jesus as a bouncer outside of club heaven. The only way into club heaven is if you know the bouncer. So if you come up and Jesus knows you and you know him, free entrance, right? Unlimited access. But if you come up and he doesn't know you and you don't know him, it doesn't matter how famous you are to everyone else. It doesn't matter how rich you are, what accomplishments you have. The issue has always been knowing Jesus. And if you don't know him, you remain where you are on the outside. Not a perfect analogy, just a picture of that relationship and the importance of knowing. And so that's where we wrapped up last week. And so this week we're diving back in to the Gospel of Matthew Specifically, we'll be honing in on a passage found in chapter 23. And of course, because this is an awakened Q&A service, that's one of the things that we do as a church. If there are any questions or comments or thoughts during the course of the time this morning that you're like, Frank, I don't know about that one, feel free to text your question or comment to awakenedqna at gmail.com. And after this time, we'll take a few minutes and tackle what ones we can. So, all right. We're going to talk about humility today. It's, uh, it's always an interesting topic. It, before, when I used to get tasked with teaching on humility, 
that uh, my wife and I would just kind of share a little laugh. And because humility is just not necessarily one of my primo topics to be able to teach on. It's not necessarily one of my strongest qualities, and maybe not necessarily for the reasons that you all think. Because we tend to think, well, if humility is one of your strong points, it's all about being able to put yourself down into being lower. And, and that's not necessarily how we define humility. That oftentimes the way we ended up defining humility is having an honest assessment of yourself. To be able to see yourself the way God sees you. That that's the essence of humility, not thinking of yourself as any higher and not making yourself any lower than how Jesus sees you. And so for me, that's where I struggle with this issue of humility because I've always wrestled with insecurity. So I would swing from thinking more highly of myself and thinking, dude, Frank, you're awesome. You can do this because that's how I motivate myself to accomplish things. And then I'd swing from there to the other side, the other extreme, and like, I am nothing. I suck. I am pathetic. Because that's oftentimes how I really saw myself. And, uh, and I also thought, you know, this is how Jesus wants me to think of myself, isn't it? This, he wants me to think of myself and to imagine myself as nothing, especially in comparison to him. And just realizing that, yeah, this is this pendulum swing that I kept going on back and forth, revolving around this, op, this uh, idea of humility it was just confusing. It was hard to grasp. And so for that reason, my wife and I would share a laugh. Whenever I'd be tasked to teach on humility, because it's like, what am I possibly going to share? It's a challenging and confusing one, not only on a theoretical level, on understanding what humility is, but even how do we practically express it. And I'm willing to bet that I'm not alone in this, that for a number of you too, humility is a confusing concept. And yet we understand that we've got to get what humility is, because humility is an essential attribute of Jesus. And we cannot know Jesus unless we understand what humility is, which brings us to the passage that we're going to be covering today. Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. But those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Context is important. So maybe to no one's surprise, this passage, intriguing, provocative, powerful verse about humility, God sets up by sharing about pride first. And so if we go to the beginning of the chapter, chapter 23, verse 1, we'll begin and understand a bit of how Jesus sets this verse up. And he starts in verse 1 when he says, Then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. So these teachers of the law that Jesus is talking about and these Pharisees were tasked with a very important work, to teach, to reveal, to unveil the law of God, the scriptures, to God's people. That was their job. That was their responsibility. So maybe the modern equivalent would be pastors, maybe seminary professors, religious leaders, that our goal and our responsibility is to share with you the things that God says in a clear 
way. But along with that, there's assumptions, aren't there? The assumption is the person teaching me is someone I'm able to trust, someone who is going to set a good example, someone who we can respect, someone who we assume is living what they are teaching. That's a natural assumption, right? And we do this all the time, not just with ministry. We do this in a number of different contexts. So if we're in a room and we're introduced to someone who is, whose occupation is a judge, we may not know anything else about them, but we would assume that, well, if this is a person, if this person is a judge, then I'm going to give them respect, and I'm going to assume that they're a fair-minded person. If I'm introduced to someone in a crowded room who's a financial advisor, then what is it we assume? We give them respect, and we assume that they know something about how to handle money, and we can even assume that their finances are probably going to be in pretty good shape. But we all know that that's not necessarily true. We've heard of judges who outside the courtroom and maybe inside the courtroom are not very fair-minded. They're not very open-minded. They jump to conclusions. They're rigid, and that's simply the way they are. It doesn't match what their role is supposed to be. We all know or have heard of financial advisors who, whose personal finances are in ruins, who have gone through bankruptcy. The very people who you would think would know better. But here's the thing. Even though we know that these stories are true, there's a part of us that says, yeah, but they're the exceptions, not the rule. Most judges are fair-minded. Most financial advisors handle their own finances well. And then most religious leaders and pastors and seminary professors are living out the faith they teach. That's kind of the operating assumptions we tend to come, that we tend to bring into the conversation. And here is Jesus, and he totally upends that idea. Because what he tells them is that these, what he's telling the crowd, right? He's telling the crowd, he's telling the disciples that for these men, that is not true. Listen to what they say, but they don't live out what they preach. They're hypocrites. And we're not talking about the exceptions. We're talking about that being the rule. That was, I mean, if that's the type of world that we live in where the people we're supposed to be able to trust, we can't. I mean, how, is, how are we supposed to live in light of that? And so Jesus continues by explaining why he makes that statement. Verse 5, everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. And they wear robes with extra long tassels. And they love to sit at the head table at banquets and the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. So these religious leaders, they didn't only teach the law, but they taught and acted in a way that would garner the most respect and admiration. These prayer boxes, they were also called phylacteries. I figured prayer boxes might be more straightforward. And what they would do is phylacteries were always worn in pairs, one on your left arm and one on your forehead. There were these, you know, uh, leather-bound uh, scripture, right, that they would keep and bring into prayer meetings to be able to quote from. And, speak. and so when Jesus here is talking about these double-wide prayer boxes, these double-wide phylacteries they're wearing on their arms, it's not because they got a whole bunch. They just they wrote the scriptures out in larger font. 
So it looks bigger, and it goes into a bigger. So in that way, they imagined that as people saw these bigger prayer boxes on our arms, they would give us more respect, thinking we are holier than we are. These tassels they were talking about, it's found in Numbers 15. The idea of wearing these tassels, uh, Jesus, or God gives a command to the nation of Israel, that I want you to wear these tassels as a reminder to obey the commands of God and that you might be holy. And so some rabbi, some religious leader, came up with this creative idea that, you know what, if I make my tassels a little bit longer than everyone else's, they might think I'm more obedient to God's commands and I'm more holy than maybe I really am. And then others saw what he did and they started doing the same thing. And so they started wearing these extra long tassels because they want to be seen as being more holy. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And I know for some of you, you might think, gosh, that's so ridiculous, right? Who would want, I mean, it's not even practical to wear a double wide phylactery on my arm. It's just like, lady, you know, it doesn't make any sense and it's not practical, it's not efficient. And we think, gosh, that's so silly to want to make ourselves look more respected and more admired than we really are. But if you think, man, we do the exact same thing. We just don't do them with phylacteries and tassels. We use like social media, hey, Facebook envy. So we have our friends and we post Facebook to make, and maybe we don't, right? We have friends, we have people that we know who post on Facebook to make their lives look so much better than we know it's really, it really might be. That's because we want people to envy and to admire our lives. So you see a post of, of this girl with this really put together outfit, right? And oh my gosh, girl, those shoes are slick, right? Those eyebrows, they're on fleek, you are put together like a seven-course meal, you know? Hashtag retweet. That's what we do. I know that was sad, wasn't it? Because I'm wanting to make myself sound cooler than I really am. That's <laughs> what we do. So this is not a first-century phenomenon. We do this today. We have the same idea where we want others to imagine our lives being just a little bit better than it might really be. And I want us to understand, because to understand what's happening here in the first century, the criticism Jesus is laying out at these religious leaders and Pharisees and how they might apply to us today, is we have to understand that this is the sin, this idea that we want to be seen as better than we really are. And when what people see in us and what is actually happening is inconsistent for no other reason than we want people to think better of us, that is sin. That was the sin of the Pharisees. That was the sin of these religious leaders to want to be seen and do things so that we might be seen as better than we really are. And oh, by the way, if we were to attach a name to this sin, the name would be pride. That is what pride is. I put a definition up on, uh, on pride. It says, pride is the sin of being fixated on our own achievements and then having our superiority recognized by others. Pride is the sin of being fixated on our own achievements and then having our superiority recognized by others. That's not the official Webster's definition. That's for me putting together a compilation of what I understand pride to be. And if you understand this definition, you realize there's two parts to pride, isn't it? It isn't simply pride in terms of looking at our... Pride is always by nature going to be selfish. 
Pride is always going to be about us. The very nature of the definition, right, tells us that pride is about us, our accomplishments, the things we do, the way we see ourselves. But I want you guys to understand that I don't think the biblical definition of pride ends there. The biblical definition of pride not only says how you see yourself is wrong, but then you leverage that how you see yourself or how you want to see yourself in your relationship with others. That's pride. And so what pride is at its worst is when my pride and my accomplishments leads me to think that I am better than you. That's ugly. And even worse, when my thinking that I'm better than you causes me to present myself to you in a way that has you acknowledge my superiority, that's even worse. But that's pride. And I say that very, I mean, there's a number of examples we could go through, right? That I'm talking about myself in a way that I imagine will cause you to be like, oh, gosh, Frank, that is so cool. That is so amazing, right? You are so good at this. Oh, my gosh, you work so hard. I can't even imagine. Oh, my goodness, you have so much stuff. That's crazy. Oh, my God, you get to do so many different things that I don't. What, do you know what I'm saying? That is what the sin of pride is that we focus, that we're fixated on our accomplishments in a way and present them in a way that causes others, where we want to have others see and view our superiority. So after sharing these examples of pride, Jesus transitions in the passage to talking about humility and what humility looks like, starting in verse 8. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are as equal, I'm sorry, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't let anyone here on earth, don't address, oh my gosh, I am reading, sorry, and don't let anyone address anyone here, I didn't do that right again, start over, and don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah, the greatest among you must be be a servant. This is a really cool passage. In this passage, what Jesus is doing is he's starting to lay out what this idea of humility is supposed to look like. And it begins with this. First, don't give yourself a title that serves no purpose other than to have someone look up to you. Don't give yourself a title that serves no purpose other than to have them look up to you. That's what Jesus is saying. He's telling them that, hey, stop going around trying to chase people down to have them call you rabbi. There's only one teacher, and all of us are equal as brothers and sisters. Don't go around trying to get the title of father. Don't go around trying to get the title of teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah, right? We can tend to do that. I've done it. I've thrown out there my titles, right? I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm a licensed mental health counselor. And in my mind, sometimes I'm like, I'm just trying to give you an idea of who I am. But the reality is that I sometimes share it because I want you to consider me an expert in relationships. I throw out the title to have you see me differently. I'm a CEO. I'm an executive VP. I sit on the board of Wayne Enterprises. I counsel Batman, right? So, I mean, come on. It can be any type of title. But when the purpose of the title, and again, I'm not saying titles are bad. I have other titles too, husband, father, and the way, it's the way we use those titles. Are we using them as an identifier or are we using them in a way that when we know 
Are we using our titles as an identifier or as a way that's trying to garner someone else's respect, awe, admiration? That's where it crosses the line. And what Jesus is saying is humble people don't do that type of stuff. Don't take your, don't give yourself a title that serves no other purpose than to garner respect or admiration from someone else. That will lead you down the road to pride. Don't fall in that trap. Secondly, right, consider everyone your equal. In verse 8, he says, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. That doesn't mean everyone is the same. Equality is not sameness. They're not the same thing, right? We all have different strengths. We all have different weaknesses. God tells us we have all been given different gifts, talents, and abilities. And God's desire is not that we have these strengths, these talents and abilities, and then we hide them, we bury them. That's not God's intention. Instead, God commands us to recognize what they are. But here's the key to not use them to benefit ourselves, but to benefit the body, to be a blessing to others. That's what these strengths, these talents, these abilities, and these gifts have been given for. But these strengths should never be used in such a way as to give ourselves superiority over another person. A hand is not superior to the foot. They're just different. They function differently. They have different roles. The eye is not superior to the ear. They're different parts with different abilities designed to complement each other to make the whole better. And that's how the church has been designed by God to work. And since the body is God's body and not your body, you don't have the right to elevate yourself or to despise some other part. This is how everyone in the body of the Christ is, is unique, necessary, and equally important. This is how God wants us to view one another as brothers and sisters. So first, right, don't take on a title that is no other purpose than to elevate yourself. Second, consider everyone your equal. You know, I say that, that's not always easy to do, especially if you're fixated on yourself. You're always looking for that edge to say, why am I better than this person? Don't do that. And finally, what Jesus teaches is humility focuses on serving. Verse 11, the greatest among you must be a servant. Do you know what serving does? Serving says that though I know we are equals, I will treat you as though you were greater. Serving says, though I know we are equals, I will treat you as though you were greater. Not out of obligation, not because of expectation, but because I love you. That's the essence of humility. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus shows, reveals how he has embodied this value how he epitomizes this when he shares. Um, but Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom. For many. Jesus is saying greatness is defined by your service. So it's a tough one to embrace. After getting married uh, in 1997, my wife and I, we moved with eight others to Jacksonville, Florida to start the campus church at the University of North Florida. And 
Um, I, had a, I had a challenging time finding a job in the counseling field in 97. And so uh, it wasn't a huge deal. I ended up working a temp job uh, to just get started off, which was great, actually. It gave us a lot of flexibility to be able to do ministry. But I worked at Blue Cross and Blue Shield as pretty much a gopher. So I was filing files, running errands, and doing whatever was asked of me to do. And I actually really enjoyed it. I enjoyed uh, I mean, maybe this sounds horrible to say, but I had so many things going on in my mind with getting ministry off the ground and things like that, and that, that I kind of enjoyed going to work and doing something kind of mindless, you know? And it was great until the day came when one of the employees there, the full-time employees, pulled me aside and, uh, and said, hey, Frank, I, I appreciate what you do, and I just want to encourage you to keep working hard, because if you keep working hard, then someday you might get a permanent position here, and you might, I can see a lot of good things for you. You might really get somewhere, you know? And, and part of me was like, no, wait, no, you don't understand. I have three degrees. I have three college degrees. I'm not doing this because, you know, I, I don't have any options. I scored a 1380 on my GRE. That's like top 20%. That was pride. I should have said that. So anyway, just... <laughs> But these are things I'm thinking, right? I want to justify myself and say, no, 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 wait, wait, you don't understand. But instead, I just, but she was so sweet. And I just looked at her, I'm like, oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And she nodded, smiled at me, and moved on. And so that was just a challenge, right? To be able to say, look, we're not going to be focused on ourselves. I recognize your heart, and we just, we serve and do what we do. Humility means we serve, and serving is not about getting recognition. It's both who you are and what you do, which brings us to the culmination, I know, this entire road to bring us back to the verses that we started with today, Matthew 23, 12. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So let's start with defining exalted. Exalted definitions, extreme rapturous happiness one definition, being held in the highest regard, and I like this one, rising to the summit of opulence and prosperity. That is exalted. So maybe if we took it out of this crazy definition and made it more practical, the idea of being exalted is to be rich, famous, respected, and joyously happy. Is that something we can relate to? To be rich and famous, respected, and joyously happy. That's the definition of exalted. And it sounds like something that all of us would want. The world tells us that's what we want. The world tells us that if you want to get it, the only way to get it is if you believe in it, believe you want it, and work hard enough to get it. You can work for it, chase after it, want it really, 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 really bad. And if that means you have to sacrifice, that means you have to work overtime, if that means that you have to delay marriage or delay having kids, then so be it. You make the sacrifices you need to in order to get rich and famous, respected, and to be joyously happy. Well, the problem is the world's way doesn't work. We sometimes think it does because if we follow the the world's mandate, we might check off one or maybe even two of the things on that list, and it sounds like I'm making progress. But the world's way doesn't really work. It's a system that's built around pride and the idea that I can do this if I work hard enough and if I believe enough and I'm creative enough or innovative enough or entrepreneurial enough or whatever the case may be then I can exalt myself. But if, but if we only get a part of it, then it's not really exalted, is it? 
This is not how God works. Do you know, so let's talk about how God works. Do you know what is at the forefront of God's heart? It's his glory, isn't it? The idea that that is what, uh, when you read through the book of Psalms, as we've been doing this uh, summer, when you talk about so much of the Psalms is God, that is we see your glory, we bear witness to your glory. Do you know what that means? It means glory is basically God saying when we give God glory, when God is glorified, what does that mean? It means that we see God as he truly is, that God wants to be known for who he is. And that's a crazy thing to believe, isn't it? That God would desire for his creation and us, and we're included in that creation, to see and know God for who he is. When that happens, God is glorified. And that's kind of what we've been doing this summer, right? To know God. So follow me here now. If we understand that that is true, that is what it means, and that is foremost on God's heart, his glory, right? Then we also understand that if we are made in God's image, there is a part of us that desires that too, has a desire to be recognized, has a desire to be lifted up and known. That's not a wrong, bad, or evil desire. That comes from being made in God's image. We have a God-given desire to be exalted. The issue isn't the desire. The issue is how we get there. The way the world tells us to get there is false. It's a trap. The way God tells us to get there, the how matters to God. And for God, the road to exaltation is humility. It's such a crazy idea, isn't it? God tells us if we're to flesh this out, that if you want to be exalted, to be rich and famous and respected and joyously happy, to be satisfied, to be recognized and known for who you are, the way to get there is for you to not pursue it. Let God bring it out in the proper time. It's a crazy idea, isn't it? That's the essence of humility. So we need to wrap up. If you have any uh, questions or comments or thoughts, I'm excited to hear what your thoughts are on this issue of humility, because I'm sure you've heard many teachings on humility before. Fire them away, and, and we'll see. And uh, I'm excited to hear what you have. And while you're texting to awakenqna at gmail.com, let me close with this. I want to close with the definition of humility. I know this is, again, a compilation, so you know it's not my original idea, but it is kind of a compilation, all that stuff. And, and I'm not to boast, just to tell you that if it seems weird, that's what it is. Humility is seeing ourselves honestly as God sees us and then choosing in light of that truth to reduce ourselves to lift others up. That was a bit long. Humility is seeing ourselves honestly as God sees us and then choosing in light of that truth to reduce ourselves to lift others up. Just like pride, I think humility essentially has to have two different parts. It's an honest recognition, seeing ourselves the way God sees us, but then doing something in light of that truth, right? Humility is based on truth that's leveraged for good. That's where humility has to be. So seeing ourselves truly and then in light of that truth, choose to bless and lift up others, not ourselves. Pride lifts up ourselves. Humility says, in light of this truth, I choose to lift up others. Both parts have to work for it to be true humility. Because that's the example Jesus set. In Philippians chapter 2, and we'll close with this, 
starting in verse 5. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. So what does it say here? Jesus is saying, or Paul is saying, right? That though he was God, Jesus knew the entire time his identity. He knew he was God. But he chose to take the humble position of becoming human. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. That's humility, knowing my identity and choosing in light of that truth to lift others up, to lower myself to lift others up. And what is the result? Therefore, God elevated him. This is exaltation. God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's humility. Jesus knew that he was God. He understood his identity, saw himself clearly through the eyes of Christ, or through the eyes of God, right? And then he chose to leverage that truth for good, by reducing himself, becoming human, and dying for us. And the result of that is that he has been exalted to the place of highest honor. May we follow his example.